we uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You're fellas competitive. Um, he's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to number seven, seventh, uh, seventh episode of the third sub. We've made it to seven. It's a, it's a nice number. It's a nice round number. Lots, uh, lots of prolific goal scorers. Uh, we're in number seven. I'm here with Sam Rowan. I'm here with one of those prolific goal scorers. Our photographer Kevin Giu from Between the Sticks. How's it going, both of you guys? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's going pretty well. Uh, see, this is going to be the issue. Now we got three on the podcast and uh, already the people talking over each other. But yeah, excited to <laughs> be here with Kev and Alex and, uh, and you know, get this thing going. Lots of, uh, you know, crazy quarantine talk maybe around the corner. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, well, we're all stuck here in our in our humble abodes all over uh all over Vancouver, cause uh, or BC, cause we're all we're all back. We all had well, at least Sam and I were uh, kind of out of out of the out of BC when this kind of hit, but got home safely. Been self isolating, social distancing. I'm almost. Well, I mean, I'm proud of myself. I've been back here for a week, and I've, I haven't seen anyone other than my dad and my mom from a distance. But I'm still here. Uh, Sam, Sam, you're stuck up in a beautiful Whistler. Like, talk about a not not the worst place in the world to self-isolate, and it's 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 been it's been boring, but you know what? It's been manageable. We're getting through it day by day. But anyways, moving moving on, we're here with uh with Kev. Kev, before we dive into too much, for those who are kind of unfamiliar with you, maybe just give a little a little bit of little sn- synopsis about yourself. Yeah, um, so yeah, my name is Kevin. I'm a communications student at SFU, and I uh, have been with BCS basically since the beginning. Uh, I do all the photos. If you guys follow us on Instagram, which you should, I'm <laughs> usually the one running that, responding to DMs, putting stuff up on stories, getting posts ready, um, and just managing a bunch of stuff behind the scenes. <clears throat> You probably haven't seen me too much, but maybe at one of the games, I'm that blonde guy walking around on the pitch taking pics. So, yeah, it's basically me. He's TV famous, so exactly. And he's not amongst photographers that we know. He's definitely the hardest. Not you, you can't miss him compared to the others. Like you notice him. Like I remember the first time I was in Toronto watching a home game. I think it was the New York City one last year. It was like, oh, okay, you could you could see. It. I was like, hey, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that, that's no, no, good. I'm it's getting DMs from friends saying, oh, I saw you, I saw you at the game from afar, like on the other side of the field, or people sending me pictures on Snapchat of me on TV. So I'm that one blonde guy, I guess. Well, yeah. Well, one 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 thing I guess is that you constantly get uh, miss or I guess recognized as a certain white caps player I <laughs> yeah no i've been uh well once or twice people have come up to me asking for autographs thinking i'm simon coline mark dos santos himself uh refers to me as simon quite a bit because of my the fact that we have the same kind of flowy blonde hair i guess so yeah if you've ever gotten an autograph from simon coline it might actually be me so watch out <laughs> Yeah, well, kind of. I guess we'll, we'll kind of pivot to, to to Sam to kind of start this this bit off. How 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 do you think we've kind of been coping without soccer really so far? Because it's been it's been so weird not to have soccer. I mean, we kind of touched on it last week, but kind of like maybe last week it kind of feels like okay, it was like a kind of like an international break, but like now it's two three weeks. It's starting to, to kind of set in. Yeah, I think it was one of those things where you kind of go through multiple stages, right? At first, there's the shock of, 
you know, you almost you turn on the TV or you go on Twitter and you expect there to be news. You expect there to be matches being played and there isn't. And and that's just uh, it's something difficult to deal with at first. And then you kind of move beyond that. And then you're just sad about it. And it's disappointing that nothing's going on. And and now I think I've just kind of moved to the point of acceptance where, you know, this has become for better or for worse, the new normal for the time being. And, and you don't find yourself like, I, I'm not going to say that I don't miss it, but I don't think you find yourself missing it maybe as much as you expected. We're pretty, I think pretty adaptable as humans. You kind of get used to the new routine pretty quickly. And so while obviously I would much prefer if there were a lot more live stalker action to talk about, I, I have to admit that I have sort of gotten used to it. And this is just, become the new normal at least for the time being well lucky you then because i don't know i'm not gonna lie my itch has been uh it's just it's, it feels like it's every worst soccer scenario like put into one it's like there's no live games i can't go play games i it's like fifa is fun but i i still play i still have fifa 18 at home i'm still i'm a bit about two years behind so it's just feels so it feels like I'm missing something like I don't know I want to go play I want to go watch I want to go write about it I want to I just want to you know kind of be in the sock I want to participate because I guess also for you guys you were both at the home opener versus Sporting Kansas City I was not I watched it from the comfort of my bed which was it was I'm not gonna say that was a bad experience it is certainly fun obviously I'd rather be there but point aside my last game came in November, so for me, I got like an extra long itch all off season. Like I was thinking of going to the Toronto Nashville game before everything got canceled. Like heck, I don't know. Even if I don't get a press pass, maybe just getting a ticket just to like you know feel the atmosphere, feel the soccer, and then they canceled it. So like it's been nearly like four or five months since I've seen a, a live game. So maybe that's just the extra itch. But kind of for us, Sam and I, we're usually in the press box, right? For Kev. You're on the field as, as a photographer, maybe as a writer during this crisis, we haven't been, you know, maybe we, obviously we have a lack of things to talk about, but we could still kind of get through for some, you, your whole, I guess, aspect about covering soccer is shooting the game. When there is no games to shoot, how do you kind of cope with that? I mean, honestly, I, it's been rough because apart from school, I haven't had much to do getting out of the house like to shoot stuff as usually like, I never like shooting in my own house taking pictures around here because it feels too feels too closed off for me that's why I love sports because it's so fast it's always moving it's always things changing I don't have to control so it's been kind of I mean it's just been kind of sad honestly because I got the taste from the home opener and then now just I can't even go to training to take pictures I can't get out to games to shoot anything um I think the only thing I've shot so far is a squirrel from my front porch, which is actually really fun. I was very impressed with how fun that was. But it's definitely not what I wanted to be doing with my time. Like you said, like apart from I've shot once or twice, I guess, during the off season, some training sessions, the home opener, but it's still been pretty sad just not having the opportunity to go out and take pictures and that just means I'm focusing more on school, which is even worse because I hate doing that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like I said last week. I mean, my school my school stock's going through the roof right now because it's all I really have to do. But <laughs> jokes aside, plus you got you got a taste as well. You do mention the home opener. You went down to Portland for the Minnesota game, and I know a, a bunch of us were planning to go to Portland, so you did get a taste of that. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I've for, forgotten about that. That was, that's true, actually. That just made me want to get out even more. Like, I love going on to Portland, Seattle, and we we already had plans, like, from months ago to hit up the uh, the two Cascadia away games in in April, I think. And now that's, that's, that's down the drain. Gone. So, I have no, like, I'm just hoping they can figure something out in the in the coming weeks, I can have an idea of what's going on, but obviously, like this is so such a sensitive topic, you never want to speak too soon. So, yeah, no, but I guess it's just I'll have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of yeah, it's it's like we kind of you don't want to speculate, you don't want to. I mean, 
obviously amongst countries in the world so far, fingers crossed, knock on wood, Canada's been doing all right. I don't think we can sit there and be like, we're really struggling here. But I think the same time things can change so fast. So it's kind of just like, you know, the stay inside, stay safe. And as we'll touch on later when we kind of dive into the some actual Whitecaps news, because there is some news for the Whitecaps land. That is kind of a consistent message they're sharing and everyone else is sharing, because as good as it is now, it can change in a hurry, as we've seen, including from places such as our neighbors south of the border. But at the same time, it's just from a personal standpoint, you just you miss the game. You know, you, you miss you just miss the routine, the routine of waking up. You go to the you just go to the stadium. You kind of have your your set routines, your your set things. I don't know if you guys have particular routines, because I'm not going to lie, I do have my own routines. Because yeah, as we mentioned, Sam and I sat together. We, when, when, It's kind of like when you're in a dressing room as a player, you kind of just develop your habits, you develop your routines. I don't know, is, is that something you kind of, you miss? Or someone like Sam, do, do, you, do you miss that? I think there's definitely things about it that you you miss it and beyond just your little you know your little routines about the way you you set up your spot and, and what time you arrive and things like that it's also getting to interact with all the great people in the media and having live game action to to interact with you know like to be able to look over at other people at the press box when something's just happened on the pitch and that can't really be replaced and it kind of brings up something that I wanted to ask both of you guys about. What is your whole feeling right now on watching historical matchups? I know that MLS has put out a lot of historical games. Uh, sports like F1 have been putting out historical races. The NHL is doing it. I think Game 7 of Vancouver-Chicago back from 2011 is going to be on Sportsnet Pacific tonight. Um, but yeah, for me, I don't know when... I know the result and the outcome of a game. It becomes very difficult for me to go back and sit through an entire an entire game. And I'm interested to hear what your guys' thoughts are on that. Yeah, no, I, I, to be honest, I cannot pay attention to those very well. I have, like, as it is, like, I get distracted really easily if I'm sitting somewhere for too long with nothing to do, so... Like, uh, just regular games, I have to make sure I don't have my phone near me to pay attention. And games when I know the score, when I know the outcome, it's so difficult. Some games, like maybe Canada, U.S., because I missed the first half, I could get myself to watch. But, I mean, it's, I, I don't, it's not for me, honestly. I tried with the Canada, or no, the, uh, the White Caps Toronto game from 2011, but it just doesn't work for me. I don't, I don't gel with that very well and i love that they're doing it it's actually really cool to be able to see little clips of it but the the full game itself is not really it's something i can sort of get to work for me yeah well it's like it's personal i guess it's personal because not gonna lie especially when i was younger i struggled because i mean i remember one big thing is like my family we got pvr tv it was like a huge deal like oh my god I miss games like I can rewatch them and I tried at first well I missed the Canucks game Whitecaps game let's record it and rewatch no I just I couldn't like I'd, I'd try to and I, I'd already know the score I'd watch the like five minute highlight or I'd maybe watch an extended highlight package and that was enough I'm like okay this is this is good but what to be fair obviously when we started between the sticks kind of covering games you know you kind of you want to cover games I actually I started to get good at it I mean luckily last year I think, well, amongst the 34 games we we watched, plus two Canadian Championship, plus the six or five, five, yeah, five preseason, I watched the two preseason games. Actually, I watched both of them delayed, which was weird. I guess it kind of got me into the, the habit. And then the other 34, I think I can remember, I missed, there, there was ones where we were in Europe on our trip, we, uh, we missed... Oh, actually, I watched Atlanta, even though it was like 3 in the morning. I missed Colorado when they won 3-2 live. I missed um, Orlando. We caught Philly live. Um, Portland, I missed. And at that around that time, because we, we missed about five games. And there's the only other one I missed besides that was, oh, I had the game in my head. Um, oh, it was Minnesota. 
when they when they drew. I, I think after the bad losing streak, they drew. And I, I, remember I like I didn't rewatch the, the the earlier ones, but I remember rewatching the Minnesota game. And it, was, it just felt weird because I already knew the score. I tried my hardest. I was at like a friend's birthday party. I'm like, okay, I don't want to I don't want to spoil the score. I spoiled the score, of course. I'm an idiot. I went on Twitter, like, worst thing to do. It was like, oh, shoot, whatever. I know the score. But, like, I wanted to write a match report. And I watched it back. And I was like, this is weird, especially because that game was, like, a nil-nil. I was like, I knew. <laughs> it was, like, the worst it's the worst game to rewatch. It was a nil-nil. And it just, I don't know. It ended up working. But I, I don't know about you guys. I don't know. Like, cause, yeah, you, you, for me, one thing I do like, I do like that ability to fast forward. Because if you watch a soccer game, there's a lot of dead time. I don't know if you guys noticed that. But the, the ball's really in play for like 50 minutes. So if you watch a game and just fast forward every time someone's down injured, every time someone's there's a goal kick, it actually it doesn't become bad. But maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just kind of my thing. I mean, when one thing that you mentioned, watching games in different time zones, for me, is that's almost impossible. Like, we, I remember Philadelphia, we managed to catch that one last year, and that was at a decent time, so it was okay. Despite, despite the fact that I have an awful sleeping pattern, I cannot watch a game past 2 a.m. if I'm in another country. I miss, and I've, because of that, I've missed some great moments too. I've missed, uh, I missed Max Crippo's great triple save last season because I was tired and just fell asleep during the game. I missed, uh, I missed Alfonso's great goal against Minnesota a few years ago. I missed some great goals because I just can't catch games when I'm when I'm tired. And I think that's like a like a big thing. Watch, I I feel like skipping through games might help, but I remember we tried to catch Orlando this summer, and it was the the zero zero game, oh. and that was one of the worst. Even watching the extended oh, no, highlights. The one- the one nil because Nanny oh, scored the late nil? goal. It was one yes. nil. That was brutal to. It was one nil. You're right. Yeah, that was brutal to to get through. So I feel like even the skipping for me is so difficult. Like I need to either watch the full game, uh, real time, or have like no spoilers whatsoever because I'm isolated, or I'm just watching the highlights of it. Honestly. Well, funny anecdote about that Orlando game now that you mention it because for those who don't know Kev myself and uh, another member of our team good old Felix plus another we went on a Europe, European trip last year caught some amazing games Barcelona Liverpool first leg for example in the semi Champions League some other great games but at one point we're in a tiny French town in the north Ganga where there's no <laughs> where we were staying there's no Wi-Fi and uh, the Orlando game was playing. We're like, okay, even if we're not going to write about it, at least, you know, we want to watch the game. It's, it's going to be a fun game. But we couldn't watch it live because I'm pretty sure we were playing to France. And we yeah, somehow, that. we didn't spoil the game for three days. Three days we didn't spoil it. At one point, we're like, okay, let's go to a McDonald's. Let's just sit down and watch the game. And... Since we're in France, the TSN app didn't work. We couldn't watch it on demand. We tried, like, five different ways, like, even trying to, like, do some sketchy close-your-eyes backdoor, cough-cough illegal, cough-cough, <laughs> anything to watch the game. And we couldn't watch the game because we were in a different – we tried VPNs. I think we tried hour. We just gave up, watched the 10-minute extending highlights, realized it was probably, like, top five worst games last year, like, up there with TFC 1-1. Uh, up there with like uh, nil nil Minnesota, like it was a dire game, like seven yeah. uh, one LA. But it, it just kind of shows, I mean, the difficulties. Obviously, when we're all in Canada, it helps, but it's it's not easy to watch games back. No, definitely not. So all yeah, right, well, it's... well, do we want to uh, move on to talk a little bit about about some matches that? might have happened recently or would have happened today in fact uh in the canadian national team matches so alex if you want to lead us into that oh yeah i guess well we can dive right into that uh for those well by the time this comes out it's probably going to be smack in between but canada was supposed to play trinidad and tobago twice 
big deal. I mean, it is a big deal, but, you know, standard international break. But what was the biggest of the deals about it was that it was going to be played at West Hill Stadium in Victoria. The 4,000 capacity stadium was actually going to host the national team. But unluckily, as one of the unfortunate casualties for now of COVID-19, it's cancelled. But obviously, I was in Tor- I would have been in Toronto. I don't think I would have made the game just because timing school. But Kevin and Sam both probably would have been there. So obviously, it's tough because it's it's important games for qualification. But how, how kind of how disappointing amongst international games that maybe you know a game gets cancelled at BC Place, BMO, or even you know in the US or whatever, big deal. But kind of what sucks about it just since it was at West Hills, maybe Sam, because you're you're going. This is going to be your first trip out to West Hills too. What was kind of what what was your your feeling? Kind of just realizing that that was going to be one of the games you're going to miss. Well, yeah, as you said, it's not necessarily the uh, you know it's not necessarily the biggest opponent. It's not necessarily the biggest venue, but that's really what makes it all the more tragic that it had to be canceled. I want to say it was on our first podcast here, at least one of the first couple podcasts. We talked about what a special event that is for a smaller stadium, a smaller area, and how impactful that can be and how we really wanted to see that become a trend that happened more throughout the Canadian national team, taking it to you know, smaller local communities, smaller, more intimate venues, and making those games feel really special. And now we sort of missed out on an opportunity to advance the national team in that regard. And, and yeah, selfishly was really hoping for, you know, a beautiful afternoon evening on Vancouver Island and uh, get to watch the national team in person for the first time would have been a wonderful opportunity, but hopefully Canada is still committed to hosting games at those types of venues in the future. And I really hope that doesn't you know, what's going on right now doesn't get in the way of that movement because I think it's something that's really exciting and that I'm really looking forward to at some point. Yeah, well, it's especially, funnily enough, amongst us three, despite us, like, obviously being BC, me most of last year, I also would have, well, if I'd gone, I'd never been to the Westels, but Kev actually has shot a couple of, games at West Hills and it is a, a unique stadium kind of having been there kind of what what stood out from you what what were you kind of expecting as well in the Canada game you know they're they're uh I guess they're they're the Pacific SC supporters they have their their own stand behind the goal it's a it's a pretty small stadium it's only three sides and one of them it's really just some bleachers behind the goals but it's loud it's metal bleachers when those guys get jumping on it with their smoke bombs, it can actually get really impressive. It's such a great environment there. Like it's really young. There's a lot of energy. It doesn't feel stale at all. And I was, I was really looking forward to seeing like a bunch of red there. A lot like was, the colors would have looked amazing for photos. I was really disappointed about that. But I, I knew people just want like were so excited to get out there for like going a a trip like a one day trip I guess from overnight from Vancouver and it like even just casual Canadian soccer fans it would have it would have actually been such a terrific at, atmosphere despite only having you know like a how many was it 4,000 capacity I think it's I, like it's a hair over 4,000 or some somewhere okay. it's like something like that yeah but I mean like I've watched I'm I'm French so I'll watch France play in their uh in their qualifying matches for the Euros and and the World Cup and everything, and you see them going playing in Andorra, and it's a tiny stadium, but you've got half the country there. But like, I feel like that's something that maybe Canada just needed. We needed to get out to these these smaller places and anywhere across the country. Australia is in West Hills because it's so easy for me to get there. But anywhere in the country, Halifax could that'd be amazing to see it there, or somewhere in Alberta, or. Manitoba, anywhere. Honestly, it was such a. I was really looking forward to this, um, and like the stadium itself would have honestly looked terrific. I think that one section behind the goal would have looked amazing. I like side boys, like to hang out. Yeah. Well, let's be real. You also probably want to get some nice shots of uh, the bagpipes guy. <laughs> yes. Um, the guy with the mohawk. 
<laughs> that guy is a character. Every shot I get of him, there's always something going on. He's, he's such a such a character. I've only seen him from afar, but he's that guy's wild, man. For, yeah, for those uh, who, if you haven't watched a Pacific game when they're back on, do treat yourself. It's it's a loud crowd. Obviously, the camera angle. I'm not gonna lie, because of the famed hydro pole. Shout out to our our <laughs> friend of a friend of the page at the hydro pole on Twitter who made an account kind of spoofing the the whole concept of a the hydro pole that affects the camera angle. But it's it's <laughs> it's not ideal. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. It's not ideal. You can barely kind of see the field. That was kind of one thing I was interested to see how their broadcast of the game was going to go. But it's just such a, it's a unique stadium. They got the, the bagpipes. Like, I remember what, watching the first game on, on TV and it, it was just, it was so loud. Then all of a sudden they started playing bagpipes. Okay, no way. This is, has to be one of the best like things I've seen at a soccer stadium. Cause I just love noise. I love, that's why I love watching South American teams. They got these drums and pots and pans and vacuum cleaners using as like, fake tubas like I love that and I sometimes in Canada in the U.S. it feels like it's just so stale sometimes like their cheering is great but it just kind of lacks that originality and I just love seeing that the smoke bombs the bagpipe like the bagpipes like come on that's it's so Canadian and it's it's great and I feel like the stadium itself it's it really fits into the environment that it's it's situated in you know you've got the the press boxes in the community center Right behind it, you can barely, it's, it's not a, a very great view of this field, but it, it's the best thing. And it's honestly, it works. They make it work. You can, you can sort of see from outside this, the, the stadium. It's, it's, it's not that big. It's really just one big stand, another decently, another tall one behind the goal, and a pair of bleachers and a beer garden on the other side. It's, it, they've made it fit. It, Langford's, it's, it's so like, far out from anywhere in Victoria, but they made it work. Uh, honestly, I love that stadium so much. But obviously with the game not being played and we'll kind of, we'll, uh, we'll dive into this in, in, in a short bit because obviously now the World Cup qualifying for CONCACAF specifically amongst con- confederations in the world, it's probably the one that is looks the murkiest right now. But res- game aside, kind of, what what were you expecting from the game? Had it happened, what, what were you expecting from Canada? Maybe what, what were you expecting the score to be? Uh, I guess Sam ha- having it be your what would have been your first national team game. Kind of what were your expectations heading into the, this clash? Obviously Canada has a bit of a leg up over Trinidad and Tobago, but it's easy to forget Trinidad and Tobago made the hex last time. They're they're not a slouch of a team. Obviously Canada beat them two nothing in Gold Cup tune ups last year, but. I think it was the table is set for for a good game. Yeah, I think as you just sort of leaded me into there, it, it would have been a real combination of you know veteran players and taking the match seriously while maybe infusing some young talent into the lineup. So would have been an opportunity to I don't know just taking a bit of a shot at the board here. Maybe you see a guy like. Theo Bear gets some significant minutes up front. You know, I think we would have seen Derek Cornelius from the Whitecaps in the back end. You know, maybe we see probably going to see Crapo in net or maybe one another one of the young guys. So I think that would have been exciting for, you know, local BC soccer fans to see some of that local talent potentially involved. And also, as you mentioned, what could very well be a really competitive matchup because even if you probably favor the Canadian team to win, let's say, you know, 2 0 or 3 1, you know that Trinidad and Tobago, they're going to absolutely work their bag off and make Canada compete for every 50 50, you know, every header, every contested ball. So I think it would have been a really nice opportunity to see Canada, you know, playing a game that, that mattered and, and also maybe showing off a bit of their young talent. And it's funny you mentioned Theo Bear because obviously one kind of wrinkle to this camp because obviously in any other window we would have seen Canada absolutely run the table like put the like not run the table but in terms of their squad selection like there's no doubts you're gonna see this their best squad but in this case for it's rare that you see this but the Olympic qualifier tournament was supposed to happen as well 
and there was an overlap in the games. So some guys would have been down at the U23 camp because the for the the men's uh, Olympic tournament, it's an, a U23 event. So someone like Theo Bear, who where would he where would he have gone? Would he have gone down to Mexico to play with the U23s, or would he have he gone to to West Hills to make up for someone like a Leah Miller not being there, or someone like one of the the younger forwards maybe have got uh, maybe a hole opened up? Because I did hear through the grapevine, uh, Kev also that Theo Bear was actually going to get a call up to the Canada national team and play at West Hills, which, as you say, that would have been incredible to see him because obviously he scored his first goal earlier this year have to have it i'm sure his family would have been there everyone would have been there it would have been one heck of a moment and obviously with the the whole double squads because basically they would have had to name 43 players 20 for the the olympics all under 23 and then 23 for the trinidad and tobago games it would have been good we would have seen some fresh faces obviously canada wants to do good in, in both uh instances so it's kind of obviously for trinidad and tobago it's world cup qualifying games obviously through the whole system that's another story the system's no good whatever etc i could go on that about that all day but they would have gone for a pretty full strength squad but at the same time someone some of the younger players that are on canada already established like a liam fraser he probably would have gone down to to mexico someone else some, some of those players like a zachary bougiar or even a Derek Cornelius at Kamal Miller, all of a sudden that opens up spots for some newer faces you're kind of not used to seeing. And I think it could have just been really interesting. And I think Canada, obviously, I think they had the upper hand. Even though Trinidad and Tobago is a good team, Canada has typically, I'm pretty sure I saw, they haven't lost at home in over three or four years. I, I would like to think Canada would have won maybe like a 4-1, like something where it's like it's tight the whole way through and then they kind of break free. But I think the table was set for a good game. I don't know about, well, Kev, what you, you were kind of expecting from it. I mean, I didn't know. I I honestly had only been really, I had to get Felix from BTS to kind of sit down with me and talk me through how the two tor- tournaments were sort of going to work because they were so close. And I didn't fully understand the whole process until like about a day or two before. And it having it explained to me like, I was honestly really expecting, um, I was really kind of hoping Canada would maybe put a lot of emphasis on the Olympic qualifying, to be honest, and maybe put guys like Derek Cornelius and Theo Bear down, uh, down there in Mexico. Cause as this is obviously the, the, uh, Trinidad and Tobago game was infinitely more important. I think, yeah, that was, could have been a really like massive thing. And I'm honestly, I'm terrified for what's going to happen now for Canada, but at the same time, I think it would have been smart maybe to to give those young guys a chance where they could really, you know, have their own impact, have their own team, and sort of kind of have that cohesion together, ready for the Olympics, and put guys maybe maybe bring guys like Fonzie to uh, guys who are regular, sort of like Fonzie to uh, to West Hills, um, guys like David, but maybe also have some of the players who were kind of who could kind of fit into both like their corneas like the bear down in mexico so i i i wouldn't necessarily make too many speculations on what the score would have been because i don't know tremendously much about trinidad and tobago but honestly if a 3-1 3-0 in both games would have probably made a lot of sense to me it was also interesting because squad wise I definitely there was some really interesting performance. Like for example, one that stood out to me is Dejan Yakovic. Obviously, he's fallen off. I don't think he was in the Canada squad for about two years now. And then he started playing regularly at LAFC because they sold Walker Zimmerman. He was getting Champions League experience, and he wasn't he wasn't looking that bad. And I was thinking he was going to return to the fold, for example. And with Derek Cornelius and Kamal Miller pretty much all but guaranteed to go down to Mexico, that would have opened up a return for Yakovic and. I'm not saying he's going to be a savior for the defense, but someone like Steven Vittoria, who had a similar absence, he came back last year, and look how good he was. I think you're going to see a lot of interesting faces kind of come back into the fold. Maybe a lot more for the West Hills, you're going to see a lot more veterans kind of 
see guys like Yakovic kind of jump in, maybe in, in goal, maybe someone like see, I don't know, maybe in goal who's there, who there's anyone specifically, but I guess Simon Thomas might be, might have seen him a little more, even Jason Luttweiler, because you might have, someone like James Pantemis might have gone down to, to, to Mexico. A fullback, it, was, it would be a lot more interesting. It, uh, Juan Cordova, might we might have actually finally got to see him play minutes at West Hills. Uh, Sam Adekugbi, because uh, Kamal Miller, he, he's usually the left back for John Herdman. He would have been down in Mexico. Zachary Bouguiar, he kind of had a little bit of an absentee from the national team after the Gold Cup. He's been playing out of his skin in Montreal. Heck, one person I actually would have expected to get called up uh, it was Joel Waterman because he'd been playing really good for Montreal as well. Like That would have been good to see some of these fresh faces in, integrate in the national team. I think we're kind of missing out on what could have been, amongst squads, definitely one of the more interesting ones to analyze because, as you know, on BTS, we love to analyze squads. And I think we would have had a, a fun time amongst others. And it is, it is too bad, but kind of... Now, now that the World Cup hopes, Canada's World Cup's hopes are kind of in limbo, what do you kind of expect to happen? Is there anything you kind of maybe, obviously, what, what people, you know, people have low expectations for CONCACAF, but at this point, it's such an unprecedented situation that something is going to change. Do you think, do you feel like Canada maybe is going to come out from this on the other end better for it? Is this maybe a, for them a blessing in disguise or... Is it too way too early to tell? So I mean, pass that to. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I sort of, to be honest, knowing the way um, Canada has sort of, I mean, not, I mean, treated isn't the right word, but maybe the, the way Canada has sort of um, felt that the the less pleasant end of Concacaf and FIFA. When it comes to qualifying for major tournaments, I honestly like my, I don't know, my, I kind of get the feeling that this probably won't end well for Canada. And because technically these friendlies are just friendlies, they mean nothing in CONCACAF's technical eyes, you know, with FIFA's technical eyes. It's not important for them. It's just these are just regular friendlies, regardless of what they could mean. And so I don't, I get the feeling that they're just going to leave it, leave the format how it is, same cutoff point. I like to think that I'm way too pessimistic, but I don't think I am. I just get a bad feeling about this, honestly. How about you, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I I have to kind of echo what Kev had to say there. You just don't get the sense that Canada is a country and a national team that is super adaptable or creative and, you know, I don't want to say take it takes would take advantage of these sorts of situations because obviously that seems like that's a bit in poor taste. But at the same time, you can sort of be as prepared for all outcomes as possible. And while obviously from a personal perspective, I would hope that Canada would do that. I just you have that sneaking suspicion that this is going to negatively affect their their hopes rather than help them out long term. But I, I don't know. There are so many, you know, possible scenarios and permutations right now that it's really hard to to make any predictions, you know, let alone for, you know, the Canadian national team, but for world football at large right now. We were talking about this pre-show, like what's world football going to look like next summer there could be this massive litany of tournaments <laughs> and everything going on all at once like who knows at this point but yeah at the same time it just canada doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like we're going to be the country that comes out looking <laughs> like we've made a huge profit off of this it just doesn't seem realistic well it, it's a feeling right because typically canada gets shafted by these kinds of things it's Canada kind of really is. We, we can really sympathize with the hashtag CONCACAF feeling because Canada typically just always finds itself on the short stick. For example, with the World Cup qualifying, how it was supposed to be the CONCACAF ranking index, which had Canada in fifth, they would have been in the hex by a mile. All of a sudden, boom, let's snap our fingers, wave a genie around, let's change it for no absolute reason. It's FIFA rankings. Ah, oh, shoot, Canada's out of it. 
it's just they're kind of used to it. But I think at the same time, I'm not gonna lie. I feel like they're for Concacaf World Cup qualifying. Obviously, as I've discussed with some people within Canada soccer, it's not an easy solution. There's no easy solution. Even the format itself, it was created out of other complications, such as Concacaf's need for a Nations League. Because among compared to Europe, they actually needed a Nations League because some of these nations just genuinely don't have an opportunity to play games, especially some of the non-FIFA members that aren't independent, etc. And obviously, with Nations League, they needed to make qualifiers, and it kind of cut down the ability to play proper World Cup qualifiers, etc., etc. I get that, but at the same time, there's no doubt that amongst formats, they kind of did bundle it. Concacaf did. Right now, they're going to get a unique opportunity to right their wrongs because they can't just do the same format. And I think they're going to realize that because if they do, there's going to be a lot of pissed off countries and pissed off people. So who knows? Maybe this will end up righting some of the wrongs. Maybe we'll see an eight-team hex. So maybe it'll be an octagonal. Maybe we'll see some sort of varied adaptation to the format to kind of fit things in. And who knows, maybe in two years when it's we're leading into the 2022 World Cup and hopefully this COVID-19 ends up blowing over nicely, maybe it'll end up being a blessing in disguise. Obviously, it's way too early to tell. We're still just focusing on, you know, flattening the curve within our country and keeping everyone safe. But as far as CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, I think it's going to be, it could end up being a bit of a blessing in disguise. Obviously, Olympics is a whole other story. Obviously, Thankfully, mercifully, this week they postponed the Olympics. But for there, it's that, that one's going to honestly, I'm more interested in a sense to know about that. Because, for example, it's a U23 tournament. The cutoff is January 1st, 1997, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 1997. If you add a year, all of a sudden a bunch of plays going to be a U24 tournament. Did they change that? Did they, did they keep that? Because if they do keep it, I mean, it helps Canada. Canada's a pretty young and raw team. One that's one more year is one more year of CPL, one more year of MLS, one more year for some of these prospects to kind of, you know, continue to to grow. That could also be another blessing in disguise because I feel like amongst Olympics, obviously Canada hasn't made the Olympics since the 80s. That could be a, really end up helping them. It could kind of see them in the in the long run because it, it would be nice to see Canada in the Olympics. They're a young squad, so I don't know. Do you, do you maybe see for the Olympics a bit more of a, a silver lining, say, Sam? Well, so I'm I'm curious about that point that you bring up because I've seen some stuff to the effect of all participants in the Olympics that had already claimed a qualifying spot were going to get to keep that for next year. And so obviously that, that fits in nicely with individual events where – uh, qualifiers had already taken place and say if you were you know the second best shot putter in your country you'd you'd secured your birth um, you know if your qualifiers had already taken place and I don't know how they would then take that and apply it to a team sport where you're dealing with a under a certain age and that that seems like there's a lot more going on there than than for some of these individual sports and I don't know. I, I guess I would find it hard to believe that they're going to make it a U23. Now this is a U24 tournament. I feel like there'll be there'll be like a pretty a pretty good uh, effort made to keep an under 23 tournament under 23 or at least as close. You know, whatever the cutoff date, they might just move that a year. I feel like that probably makes more sense. But at the same time, this is the IOC and Olympic committees we're dealing with. And, you know, we were talking about this. I think everyone has been saying this for a long time. Like, how on earth did it take this long for the Olympics <laughs> to get postponed? Like, it's absolutely shambolic. I mean, I think every everyone who everyone involved should be ashamed of themselves, really. And and you can understand why uh, obviously, there are financial reasons why it took so long, but but when these are the kind of people that are making these decisions, you can't necessarily, you know, put everything based on logic. But I, I, I do think that they'll probably, for those age-specific events, just push the age year back. That would seem to make the most sense. I've, just, uh, just another thing with that also, I see, I'm starting to think for age because like we mentioned, there might be a lot of tournaments happening in one summer. You might have the Euros, the Confederations Cup, the uh, 
the Cup of Nations, the Olympics, all these tournaments, the Gold, Gold Cup, Cup. Copa America, the Women's Euros, the Women's Euros, the, um, the MLS, the ML, everything happening all at once. So, like, that also means that you'll, you'll have teams, like, for example, I, 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 use, I go to them because I know them well, but France, like, you'll have the Euros, you'll have the Olympics, and I'm, I don't know how Confederations Cup would work, but you might have countries that are competing in all three. And you just, like, you wonder, like, how many guys are going to be in each, like, they're going to be taking these random players at a certain point, which for teams like France, that's not such a bad thing because France has way too much, way too many players to choose from in some positions. But you've got teams like the U.S. who are, or Mexico who will be in at least two, possibly, I don't know what others they've been, but, like, you've got teams that are kind of, Going well, Mexico's to going to be in three, actually. Olymp- Mex- well, I mean, possibly. They could make the Olympics, too, but they'd also be in the Gold Cup. And I'm pretty sure they're the CONCACAF's uh, CONFED Cup representative, if I'm not mistaken. There you go. And you've got all these crazy terms happening. And you just sort of wonder how is, like, they're, I think they're going to have to keep the... I think they might just end up keeping the age limit the way it is because, yeah, it might... It might be weird, but you, they've kind of at a certain point got to restrict, put some restrictions on teams because you'll have guys going, you'll have three different tournaments. So it, it'll sort of be weird for certain teams when you've, guys like, when you've got guys like Francis Kylian Mbappe who could play, who is eligible to play in the Olympics at the moment. He, she will be next year as well, but he, it's kind of like th- having these three tournaments. Already PSG is very... Not a big fan of him going to the Olympics, but it's going to be kind of weird balancing which players end up where. And I, I can't see them. I think just for that reason, they'll probably end up leaving the restriction on just so that it's a little more balanced on one end in who can play there. Well, one thing to consider, too, obviously the European nations are committed to finishing their full slate of games. MLS is committed to com- finishing its full slate of games. Obviously, it's postponed till at least May. There's going to be a huge backlog of fixtures in both Europe on their winter calendar and in MLS on their summer calendar. That backlog of games is going to affect next year's games, right? So obviously, that's going to it's going to likely mean at least two seasons of congested fixtures. So not the players are going to be exhausted heading into next summer due to these double backlog of games, right? And then. There's these whole staggered tournaments. Obviously, Confed Cup finishes, it usually starts usually around early June, July, whereas the Olympics, it's like August. It's late July, August. So it's like enough of a split. But clubs, clubs versus international is a huge problem. You see it with every year at the World Cup or Euros, clubs getting really angry and pissed off that their players have to go. Like the year where I think, well, like when Mo Salah, he played 50 games for Liverpool, he dislocated his shoulder on the final but he still went to go to Egypt to play with them in the World Cup even though he was clearly unfit and needed a rest it's just with the exceptional circumstances that we're going to see some congested schedules in the leagues as is and then you jump into the, the international schedule it's going to be an absolute nightmare because obviously for something like the Confederations Cup, well, Confederations Cup is a different story, but something like the Euros, teams are mandated to re- release players. But it's like teams are also going to, countries are going to want good players for the Olympics. They're going to want good players for the Confederations Cup. They want good players for the Gold Cup. And some of those tournaments are mandated because they're through FIFA. Some of them aren't. And I think we're going to see a potential kind of a huge club versus country battle that I don't think we're ready to seeing. I think it can lead to some unique times. Yeah, one thing I think also when I I look at that, I wonder, it'll probably have balanced out by then, mostly, but you've got the the World Cup in Qatar in 2022 in November, and I think that just, the amount of strain from like this, it can either be a good thing in that we know how to manage moving a season and like stopping it. But at the same time might also, like you mentioned, there might be this, and there might become this confrontational aspect. Like it's a lot more apparent then between, um, between 
or between countries and clubs. And so I wonder, like, could that really will obviously we know the game will be changing quite a bit in the because of this thing. But I wonder if like this sort of might grow and grow and starting out as this pandemic becoming like this major shift in the relations between clubs and countries. Yeah, I think if there's one thing we're going to agree on, because obviously it's, as we say, we'll probably say it until it's too late, but it's too early to tell what's going to happen with COVID-19. It's unprecedented. we got to let people take their time. But I think we're kind of setting ourselves up with kind of every decision that happens. And it's kind of been a time bomb that started with the announcement that Qatar was going to be played in the winter, not in the summer, with each impending decision, such as, a possible Premier League in the summer, this and that, and how even the Bundesliga was thinking about maybe just permanently shifting to a winter calendar for the next three years to be ready for the World Cup in Qatar. And with this backlog of fixtures, it's going to come. I think we're going to kind of see an unprecedented, some sort of movement and wave with, with, with the next, over the next four years for soccer. And it's either going to be good or bad. And it's kind of interesting to see, but I guess for that, that kind of that'll wrap up our first part of the show. Luckily for you, all you, you listening at home, thanks again for listening. You're gonna have another part too, so stay tuned. Uh, this time we actually surprisingly went for the other soccer talk, and Kev, Kev is uh, he's been an excellent guest so far. I think uh, Sam and I can both uh, agree with that. Our first guest, so he'll, uh, he'll be kind of in the third sub Hall of Fame, looking back as a true uh, <laughs> third sub, and. I guess after the break, we'll be talking about a special Whitecaps third sub and also some Whitecaps chatter as we go reverse other soccer and then Whitecaps on this episode of the third sub. So grab a snack, stay tuned, and we'll be back in a short virtual moment, a little, a little moment in uh, real life. 